0: The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network.
1: Welcome to the Sample Chapter podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Mieske. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. This is episode 180 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. I am your host, Jason Amiski, and I'm back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I took an unscheduled break last week after 179. I, uh, you know, I'm just going to be honest here. I'm going to be real with you here for a few moments. I was approaching burnout, to be perfectly honest. I had a lot of things on my plate. Very busy with work. My email, the sample chapter email, uh, that I tell you about every time I was still dealing with repercussions from those jokers, uh, about two months ago and just, you know, lots of stress, lots of things going on that were making me, you know, just extra stressed out. I haven't been writing consistently and that's been adding to my stress cause you know, I want to write, I'm a writer and I do this show to help other writers, uh, so lots of things kind of on my plate, and it was just really burning me out. And uh, last week, like it was already Tuesday before I even realized what day of the week it was, and I hadn't prepared my episode, and I was really kicking myself. And I thought, you know what, I'm gonna take the day and relax. And I don't even think I, I don't even think I even posted anything until Wednesday because it was the rest of that Tuesday was still extremely busy. And then thank you for those of you who, who reached out to me, uh, checking on me, asking if I was okay. That was very sweet of you. But yeah, the rest of the last week, I just kind of, I took my time to, you know, of course I got work I have to do, but in my free time, um, <clears throat> I straightened out my email issues. Just a refresher, about two months ago, a bunch of jokers, I guess, signed up the sample chapter email for a a crap ton of uh, spam email and I was literally getting like I got added to a couple of dozen lists and You uh, yeah all of a sudden I'm getting hundreds of emails per day of nothing, but spam And it was it was quite ridiculous and because of that these last two months it's been very difficult for me to follow up with author requests and uh, I really hate you know missing out on a lot of these uh, wonderful authors that I found some But I think in the process of cleaning things up, I think I've lost several as as well. Um, Now that that's fixed, I am going back through. um, I think the most fair thing for me to do is just respond to my most recent requests that I have. um, Because they're, they're the newest ones. If you have sent me an email request in the last few months, please send me a new one. Because uh, I, I may have just gotten rid of it all, and in, in, in an effort to clean things out, I may have just gotten rid of it inadvertently. And uh, you just, you know, I, I hope you can understand. I apologize for the confusion, but uh, yeah, reach out to me and let me know. Um, meanwhile, I'm going to get back to the most recent people, um, guests like today. Uh, they were getting a hold of me through uh, social media. Which is still a good way to reach out to me as well. I, I still prefer the email for most people. Um, today's guest is a return guest, so yeah, we know each other on on social media, and uh, that was that was cool. So we were able to uh, chat back and forth that way. But yeah, if if you want to reach out to the show, you can at samplechapterpodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, right now, I don't have any plans of changing that email. Now that I got this, I think I have it all straightened out and seems to be working well again. I've got some spam filters on it. But of course, if I I do decide to change the email, uh, you'll be the first to know. And I'll change it on the website and everywhere else. But back to my stress levels and burnout. um, You know, just honestly, it was really getting me thinking like, man, have I reached the end? Have I reached the end of the show? Uh, Because, I mean, this is my fourth year doing it and it is that ha, is something that's on my mind wondering how long I'm going to do it but you know i think so long as i can manage and and taking last week off to take care of some things and refresh myself a little bit was good it recharged the batteries some and i'm going to i'm going to take some more time once in a while this year to do that because i i really got to take care of myself and i don't do that enough i'm realizing I'm always taking care of, you know, of course, my family. Uh, my family comes first, and uh, then my work, my day job. But I don't do a lot for myself, and I'm going to start doing a little bit more of that. And, uh, yeah, so as long as I can continue to take care of things and manage my time, then, yeah, I, I really have no plans to cancel the show or bring it to an end anytime soon. Um, gosh, I've got dozens of emails right now from people wanting to come on um and that's that's just a glowing candle in the window for me you know that's that's a lighthouse on the shore showing me the way and showing me that yeah there are still a lot of people out there that that listen to the show and and want to come on and uh, getting some of the responses i get from fans out there all over the world letting me know how much they're enjoying it uh, really means a lot so thank you all and um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna keep doing this for the foreseeable future so well, speaking of guests uh as I alluded to this week's guest for episode one hundred eighty is a return one l m revere uh she was with us back in season two if if there is a season two year two whatever you wanna call it uh we were discussing her debut series. The Innisfail Cycle, uh, Book 1. And today she's back to discuss Book 2, The Southernmost Star, and read a sample chapter. We have a fantastic time discussing uh, her publishing company, Lights Out Inc., adult fantasy, epic adult fantasy, her love for that, uh, humility versus false humility, and imposter syndrome. And we get sidetracked. A lot <laughs> it's a it's actually a lot of fun we get sidetracked a lot talking about books and what we like to read and weather and uh, stuff like that and it's it's actually a lot of fun we have a good time and uh, oh speaking of so that uh you'll know you're gonna hear there's a book that i'm describing in the conversation and uh, i forgot what the title is the title is called the hunger by alma katsu and I actually mentioned that on a previous episode with with Mark Harms because of his podcast, the Beards Books and Bourbon podcast, and uh, that's how I found out about that book. And then he and I discussed uh, that. But that was the that's the book I'm telling Lane about, and it's it's uh, one of them I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into that one here pretty soon myself. You know, I gotta say that's one of the nice things about last week too. Taking some time off, I did a lot of reading. I finished up three books last week that I've been trying to get through for a while and started another and almost finished it. So that was nice. That was nice to get to spend some time reading. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I have been chatting on here for uh, coming up on, uh, right now it says eight and a half minutes, but I've got to add a couple of ads. <clears throat> so let's get to that so that this uh, episode is not too long. Uh, let's start first off by thanking our sponsor, Scrivener. Scrivener is my favorite writing software i do all of my writing in there and i i did uh, there over the weekend i got to get back into my writing a little bit and that felt really really good hey scrivener 3 is now available full of tons of new features and i'm going to be finding out some more stuff about that here real soon thing uh exciting information that i can share with you so st- uh, stay tuned for that in the near future meanwhile check out this advertisement and find out how you can save 20 percent on the regular desktop version Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scribner. Now, I know you've heard about Scribner because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scribner's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener writing software, built by writers for writers. All right, thank you once again to Scrivener. Um, I also want to thank, not not a sponsor, but a partner with us, uh, which is Audible. Audible has partnered with the show in an effort to provide you with a free audiobook and 30-day trial just by going to audibletrial.com slash samplechapter. I'm pretty sure that's the link. <laughs> if you go to the show notes or go to samplechapterpodcast.com, you can see the link there on how to sign up. <clears throat> But my memory is not that good lately. So, uh, you know, listen to this. And uh, I know I say there what what it actually is. (laughs) Hello, friends. Jason here. And I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a great offer from Audible. Like you, I'm very busy. I have a full-time job, a family. I'm a thriller author. And I do this weekly podcast. But I also love to read. That's where Audible is a lifesaver for me. Whether I'm mowing the yard, working out, driving back and forth to work, or doing some other menial task, I can still listen to an incredible book through Audible. And now you can get a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter. By doing that, you'll not only have that 30-day trial, you'll also gain access to guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, exclusive Audible Originals, and even podcasts like the Sample Chapter Podcast. Last year is the first time I ever achieved my own personal reading goals, and it was because of some wonderful titles I listened to on Audible. Some of those titles were Ready Player Two by Ernest Klein, narrated by Will Wheaton. The Awaken Online series from Travis Bagwell, narrated by David Stifle. Patient Zero by Jonathan Mayberry, narrated by the incredible Ray Porter and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention previous guest Scott Meyer with his Magic 2.0 series narrated by Luke Daniels it's a lot of fun and definitely worth your time a full disclosure by signing up at audibletrial.com sample chapter the show does get a little monetization which goes directly towards any production needs uh, with the show so you're also helping us out here by signing up so what are you waiting for? Head on over now to audibletrialcom sample chapter and start your free 30day trial today all right thank you so much to audible uh, you know audible is actually that's one of the ways I uh, finished up two of my books last week is uh, through audible so I had two of them one paperback one ebook and uh, two audible books that I did last week so I'm a, I'm a fan and uh, you can sign up as well for free get that first month free. Hey, I want to thank our Podcast Network friends, uh, starting with Pop Goes the Culture Network, home to about a dozen other shows, all of them pop culture related. Uh, shows like The Multiverse Tonight, uh, The Alamo Backlot, Fellowship of the Geeks, the of course there's the flagship show, Pop Goes the Culture Podcast, and Two Dads Review, just to name a few, so uh, click that link in the show notes for more, and... Yeah, go hop on over there and check out some of those shows. It's lots of fun stuff. All your pop culture news right there at your fingertips. The other podcast network that I'm so happy to be a part of is the Project Entertainment Network. Home to more than 30 different shows, a wide variety. You have the Lunch Ladies Podcast, Necrocasticon, Monster Attack, the Bazong Podcast, Your New Opinion, you know there's just there's so much to talk about uh including this crazy one right here gutting the sacred cow what the heck is that (laughs) hey everybody it's kevin goatee it's kevin israel and you're listening to gutting the sacred cow on the project
0: entertainment network hey kevin what exactly is gutting the sacred cow
1: gutting the sacred cow is a podcast where we invite comedians and talented people every episode to come on and trash a movie that you probably love or someone you know loves.
0: That's right. We've trashed, we, our guests, have trashed such films as Indiana
1: Jones and the Last Crusade, Gone with the Wind, Greece, even Star Wars. Can you imagine the balls on that guy? Did he succeed? I cannot. Yeah, well, listen and you'll find out. But this is Kevin Goatee and Kevin Israel for Gutting the Sacred Cow. All right, so find all of those shows and our friends in the uh, In the show notes, the links are there. Let's hop on over to our guest, L.M. Revere, and her latest book, The Southernmost Star. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sample Chapter Podcast. And this week, I'm so happy to have a return guest, somebody from uh, year two. Actually, it would be episode 50. So, I mean, this is a while back. Uh, But it also goes to show how far back we go. Uh, I am here today with L.M. Revere. Previously, we were talking about The Sons of Mill. And uh, this week, it's the sequel to that book, The Southernmost Star. So as a reminder, L.M. Revere is a freelance writer, editor, and photographer. Uh, Book one, The Sons of Mill, uh, which is book one of the (laughs) Innisfil cycle, uh, was her first full-length novel. Ladies and gentlemen, LM Revere.
0: Hello. <laughs> there's not a better lead in than that, right? I
1: <laughs> That's it's all right. <laughs> I, I, I get that a lot too, where it's like I do this like big lead up and it's like, hey, thanks. <laughs> it's hey, always hey, fun. You
0: know, there's like that scene in uh, Game of Thrones when he's like, you know, when uh, Miss is going down all her list of like the unbroken, the unbe- you know, all the different yeah. stuff she has. He's like, this is John Snow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's <Yeah.
1: hanging> <laughs> oh my gosh that's how I felt with uh with Jeff Archer a few weeks ago because it was just like the list went on and on and I was like oh my gosh I gotta I gotta cut this off so we can start talking and he was laughing about it too he's <laughs> like well we're all done right time now Jeff thanks for coming on yeah right <clears throat> so hey how are you doing Lene I'm good
0: I'm good thank you for asking how is everybody over there
1: uh, you know, it's it's Missouri. The weather's uh, changing up all the time. It's cool one day, warm the next, and then it's rainy and back and forth. It's
0: in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I
1: How's Florida it. treating you?
0: Uh, it's good. You know, I spend most of my free time uh, in that clear blue water and like diving and snorkeling and paddling and doing outdoor stuff. That's why I'm here.
1: <laughs> the beach life.
0: And playing around with my cameras. That's about it.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's hot it's already really really hot i think we call it satan's armpit outside right now so uh it's uh, already about 100 degrees <laughs> yeah. So, yeah oh
1: my gosh yeah i'm not looking forward to that we we keep warming up to about 80 and then uh it's been with all the rain it's just been so ridiculously humid so it's, yeah, uh, Missouri,
0: i think is is about as humid as it is here in florida honestly uh, uh, and i will always sorry. argue until i'm burger that like in the midwest especially like in michigan it's cold water cold water is dense so whenever it's humid it's worse <laughs> <what I> <laughs> at least here it's like yeah. cold water and uh you know it's in every single particle you breathe nothing but oh yeah all year round <laughs> so. i tell you
1: i thought i knew humidity until i got to japan and then it was like oh really you step off the plane and you're instantly wet it's just Where like you oh uh yeah we were in uh tokyo outside of tokyo at uh, oh, yokota yeah. air force base for a while
0: Oh, wow. I didn't know it was that humid there. I thought yep. it was actually kind of dry. Wow, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was there for the big earthquake and all the radiation. That's what uh, led to this voice that I've got.
0: Everybody likes this voice. I just <laughs> you and me go ways back. We've been talking about this for a minute now.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah you can sign
0: all the girls from Lights Out, Inc. We're like, yep, Jason, he's got a voice like a spider." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I have a voice for radio. What can I say?
0: No. Or the that's face weird. for it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in a derogatory manner, we are complimenting him just to be
1: clear. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Y'all are too nice to me. Well, speaking of Lights Out, uh, (laughs) tell us about Lights Out and how this came to be. This is huge.
0: Oh, no. Where's my magic glitter that I can throw and then just disappear in the dust? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lights Out, Inc. is a small independent publishing house that focuses on... uh, speculative fiction and I prefer uh, very genre bending fiction featuring strong female characters that are central to the plot. Uh, You don't get a lot of damsels in distress or like super clever handsome uh, main characters that are men and that's the stories essentially just revolves around them and their libido (laughs) as it were. Uh, we, We like stories that have strong smoky women think um Naomi Nagata from the expanse series that that's my ideal heroine always and I you know we just kind of we, we want to publish fiction that is adult centric so no young adult fiction, we want to publish fiction that has a strong uh, story as well and doesn't necessarily have to squeeze into one genre category so um, that's kind of what lights out does and so far we've got about six authors and we're looking to grow over the next few years. Um, and we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, and I love that idea behind it too with the, the strong female characters, because it's
0: whenever I think
1: strong female characters, I think of Ripley from yeah. Aliens and uh, because just that right balance of reactionary and taking charge.
0: Right, and but she was also still a woman, like they weren't trying to like... Yeah make her something that she wasn't. She was just a woman who was like, you know what, I'm going to do this job because I don't think there's anybody else that can do this job. So therefore that means it's, it's got to be me. And exactly. Ripley is yep. like, great. <laughs>
1: like, yeah, <laughs> yep, I love Mike
0: it. Really
1: she, <laughs> she's, a, she's a mother figure to all the soldiers yeah. and, and to Newt, but then it's like, all right, give me that gun. Show me what I'm doing here. All right, She gets that
0: suit in Aliens. The first time I saw it, I think I was about six years old. I was like, yeah. Can't get. I want to be part robot.
1: Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was uh, whenever I joined the military, I was looking for those those uh, forklift. They said, "Yeah, you're going to drive a forklift." And I was like, oh "Great. Do we have those?" No, that's not really yet.
0: Nice <laughs> so uh, oh man. And there's no Michael B. Hens either. Uh, that's a real shame for us ladies. Just you <laughs> know.
1: He's a yeah. He's 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 a good guy. Yeah.
0: Yes. You know my
1: my wife likes him better as uh, as Cal Reese.
0: What, which is
1: uh from the first terminator
0: oh really yeah. that's right that's right on your feet soldier i remember him yep
1: yeah. yep
0: that movie yep. came out when i was four though so fair play <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep she likes him better there i like him better in uh well he was a bad guy but tombstone is johnny Ringo. i love him
0: in tombstone
1: mm-hmm.
0: he was my dad named my little brother uh wyatt <laughs> oh,
1: nice! <laughs> because of that,
0: he was, he was very into Tombstone. I right? think we watched it just about every single night for a oh, really long time. <laughs> but,
1: uh, yeah. Oh my gosh! Well, the, right, so this is the danger of, uh, of talking with old friends on here. Is uh, we get to, we get sidetracked quite a bit, but it's it's good. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I think people are going to have fun listening. to this But I want to make sure and tell people about your books. Okay. Right. Yeah, we'll keep the focus. Let's <laughs> <laughs> we'll try and get back there so uh i mean gosh this has been three years ago now uh january of 2019 you were like my second episode of season two i don't really do seasons but that's where you know the year kicked off and yeah we were talking about sons of mill um how'd the book go i I know you changed the cover which is fantastic looking and uh i got a chance to uh to read it myself i loved it I think in my review i made sure to say like man i could i could smell the dirt as i was reading it because okay. it was so detail oriented and, and very rich
0: thank you um yeah i i do tend to to ramble a bit about the outdoor scenes i think that has a lot to do with the fact that i'm also an outdoor photographer <laughs> so, i think kaylee that's uh LOI's uh art director she's always uh kind of harping on me mm-hmm. about my wind so i'm always describing the wind and like every single scene i'm like it's an enclosed space but somehow we can work the wind <laughs> 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 yeah the, the sons of mule um the first time we published it we, we self-published and uh and it didn't work out so well um because you know it, whenever you're writing fantasy, especially epic adult fantasy, there's not quite the same market for that as there is for the really hot young adult fiction right now, Mm -hmm. which we talked about in other threads and places that I'm not a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. um, Anyway, um, didn't go so well. It took a while for it to find its audience. It needed some more editing. It needed a little bit more oomph. And then I signed up with Episodic, which was the precursor to Lights Out Inc., which is my publication I'm the editor-in-chief of. and you know, we did pretty well with that for a little bit. We got it edited, we got a little bit more exposure. Uh, and then finally, when we transitioned to Lights Out Inc. and I took over, uh, we just gave it a whole new overhaul. Uh, gave it a brand new look, gave it a real squeaky clean edit. And I think we're we're really, we've got I don't know, some pretty good high reviews for Lights Out Inc. because of the, the Sons of Neal and the other titles that we have. So um, we have, we're doing pretty well, I think. Um, Fantastic. Um, I don't know about the sons of the southernmost star yet, <laughs> because
1: you know, ten <laughs>
0: days ago. But uh, and when I say we, I'm, I'm referring to lights Outing because as well. I'm not re- using it in the royal version. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the sons of meal for myself personally was um, I mean, if you read the back of my book, you know the process that it had gone through. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote that book twenty years ago, and then I rewrote it, and then it was subsequently um, stolen from me. It was plagiarized and I stopped writing for a really long time. And then it took a long time for me to kind of shake myself out of that. And then I started rewriting it and finally finished it. And that's, you know, when we, when I started finally trying to publish it. And then, uh, I don't know. So it's been on quite a long, a long 21 year journey. Mm -hmm. So where it is now, I'm happy with it. And, um, really, really happy to have just released the sequel, which the third book is coming this fall and um, yeah they're all done so (laughs) the third book comes out this fall and the third book answers everybody's questions that they have now that they've read the second if they have uh, (laughs) it gives you all of the fighting that you could possibly want (laughs) I guess that's (laughs) the entire purpose of that book but yeah I I don't know it's um I, I think the Sons of Meal taught me a lot and its progress and its progression through publication has taught me so much about the industry and about myself as an author and my strengths and weaknesses. And I mean, I built a publishing house on, on its strengths. So I think that that's, I don't know. I think we kind of came kind of far and lights out. I think it's is definitely a product of the sons of meal. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, gosh, it seems like I remember uh, talking to you before and, you were—I wouldn't say shy, but you were—you know—excited and yet nervous too about this process with the first book and and all that. But then now to see it today, and I mean, I've been watching you—you know—for a couple of years now, following you and, and seeing everything that you do. It's just like, oh my gosh! I mean, she's editor in chief, and you're helping with the art and helping other people with their books, and it's just, oh my gosh! I mean, you—you become a rock star.
0: I don't know about that yet. <laughs> <laughs> my follow count is not quite as high as I would like to, but no, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it's been a long journey and I don't, uh, I don't want to stop now. So I think I, I, I've, I'm finally getting to the position where I've <laughs> stopped feeling like an imposter and I am an author. I'm a published author and I've gotten very good ratings and
1: I'm going to continue
0: to try to make my readers happy and continue to create content that I want to, to, to give to people and um, mm-hmm. stories that I want to tell, which when the third book comes out, by the way, uh, I have other fiction <laughs> 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 that will be coming out and will be uh, more in line with literary fiction mm-hmm. uh, with some fantastical elements because it's me. But, uh, you know, it's not going to be quite an epic fantasy series and you know, maybe one day we'll get back into Endless fail, But for now, <laughs> yeah. when the third book comes out, fail is done for a little while. We got some other stuff we want to focus on. But okay. you're going to cut some of this out, right? Because I'm just rambling at this stage.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I leave it all in there. Nobody knows the thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to notice. She rambled for 25 minutes about nothing. (laughs) No,
1: no, this is great. No, it's actually got me thinking about, like, you had a couple of things you talked about. So let me start first with uh, uh, Sons of of Meal and uh, give everybody a little bit of a a recap what it's about and then what they can expect with Southernmost Star.
0: Okay, so the Sons of Meal takes place in a seemingly pre-Celtic society In um, this continent called Innisfail. And Innisfail is dominated by a godlike race called the She. And if you know anything about Irish mythology, the She are what you would base uh, Tolkien's elves and fairies and, you know, people or, you know, creatures from an other world, quote unquote. But in my story, it's much different. These are gods, they're not. They're not little tiny winged creatures that grant wishes and, and mm-hmm. it's not all beauty and happiness. The other world is responsible for some of the darkest stories ever <laughs> and Ireland is where it all comes from. So uh, that's kind of, you know, Innisfail is is basically Ireland. I don't want to give away too much because there's a lot of revealed yeah. <laughs> to be discovered as you read. <laughs> um, but in this, this tale, the the Innisfail is kind of divided into these, uh, client kingdoms of ASHI. ASHI is where the she live. The humans are not allowed to venture there. Um, and there is someone who's kind of outcast in the wilderness and he's not happy about it. He spends his days drinking and dicing and, you know, essentially just being a grumpy jerk. <laughs> and he runs across um, a situation that he initially tries to avoid because conscience isn't really one of his strengths. <laughs> like, you know, he's a bit of a jerk, did I mention that? And in this rare moment, he realizes that he has to help this person. And as he does that, it kind of catapults him into a larger tale, onto a larger story. He becomes part of um, a conspiracy and political, melee i want to say you know yeah. he, and it gets it, it 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 just doesn't stop he gets mm-hmm. the decision is made and then it's just one thing after another and so in the southernmost star we are reintroduced to those characters um, i don't want to give away spoilers but the main character is his he's re re his proper identity okay uh, who he really is not who he is projected to be through right the, the entire first half of the sons of meal and with that he's made a lot of realizations about himself and about what he wants and he has to he's made a decision to do something that has again far-reaching consequences for every single person and in his because the other main character una she's the product of two of these client kingdoms mm-hmm. and uh she's the heir to both and that's a problem <laughs>
1: because
0: it's not what she wants first and foremost she doesn't want to be responsible for the lives of anyone she doesn't want to make these decisions and she doesn't want anything to do she doesn't want to live the life that people want her to live she wants to be she wants to be free mm-hmm. um so anyway it's these two making these extremely selfish decisions for themselves and the book kind of asks, begs the question, you know, when is, when is making decisions for yourself really, truly selfish? And if the consequences of that, of those decisions harm other people, is it the right decision? And there's a lot of other political schemes and intrigue and mystery that's involved in this tale. And a lot of the characters that you meet in the Sons of Meal, the southernmost star kind of shifts focus to them for a little bit while that larger question of when is when is selfish too selfish. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? For the two main characters. Uh, and so you're kind of just like pulling back the, the the tapestry to reveal the rest of this world and the characters that are in it and how it, it affects them and and what it, what's happening with all of those ancillary characters and who the real villains are. There there really aren't any. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. Everybody's a great character. So um, it, the second book is more introspective and it's more about the relationships between the characters than it is about the progression of the story itself mm-hmm. um that is what the third book will do <laughs> the third book is back into the story and it's you know just a race to the finish yeah. but uh with the second book i kind of wanted to i wanted to give it the empire treatment you know what i'm talking yeah. about Star Wars, Uh, A New Hope, you you introduce all the characters, you show them what's going on. You know, we got lots of adventures (laughs) going on. (laughs) You know, you kind of end on a little bit of a high note. And then in Empire, it's dark, it's dark. It's dark There's texture. There's more, the relationships between the characters are more developed and who they are as people is more developed and you start to realize like, oh man, I thought that guy was a villain. Oh, but he's really not a villain you know mm-hmm. what I mean I thought the good guy was a good guy but he's not really such a good guy he's kind of a selfish jerk but so it's just showing people as they are and all of the decisions that were made in the past and and now that are kind of coming to a head and the southernmost star, which propels you to the third book which is essentially battle 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 yeah. but anyway <laughs> that is a that's that's the best way I can describe it um, and again, I'm rambling. So,
1: no, fantastic, fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it's I'm I'm so excited. I cannot wait for uh, for it to come out and uh, dive it's into out. it and see what they're. Yeah, it is out now. Okay, out.
0: <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, you can buy it on uh, in hardcover and uh, ebook now at Barnes Noble and Amazon.com, or you can go directly to our website at lightsouting.com and just click the link. It will take you over. You can choose your poison. Uh, The paperbacks will be available within the next few days. They're on hold for whatever reason. Um, So paperbacks are like $16.99, hardcover is $26.99, and the ebooks are $6.99. So you get to choose your adventure. (laughs)
1: Outstanding. (laughs) Yeah, and we'll make sure I have links for that in the uh, show notes as well.
0: Okay, awesome.
1: One of the things you mentioned before when you thought you were rambling, but I'm like picking things up. So you, you don't even realize the <laughs> value you're giving. but you touched on uh, some of the uh, imposter syndrome uh, that I think still comes along with that first book. But by the time you get around to book two, it seems like that's when it starts to go away. And here you've already got book three, like is coming pretty quick. So do you think uh, having that second book helped you finally get over that
0: hump? um yes I do um like for myself I don't believe in false humility I think people that that convince themselves that they're I think false humility humility is a wonderful thing in Mm. in a grand in a grand scope but as an artist if you're constantly telling yourself you're not worthy if you're constantly breaking your abilities down to some kind of well maybe it's not good enough or maybe I just need to do this instead or if you take your reviews too hard etc you know um I know I'm a good writer and I know that this story is a good series and I know that because I would read it and it is exactly what I would want to read. And as long as that's the case for any story that you're writing, um, that imposter syndrome is nonsense and you have to stop listening to that inner voice. Mm -hmm. You just have to run with what you have. I mean, there's always room for improvement. That's what editors are for. That's what the editing process is for. And there's always room to, you know, expand on a, on a story or flesh it out some or whatever, but that, that doesn't make you any less an author and it doesn't make you any less an artist and it doesn't make your fiction any less valid or important. So I stopped telling myself by this time with the second book that, um, you know, maybe nobody gets it, maybe nobody likes it, you know? So mm-hmm. now I'm writing for the people like me that are gonna pick it up and just fall in love with the characters that I have created. And, and the reason why I know that they would do that is because I pick up people's books all the time and it's the same thing for me. And they probably felt the exact same way. You know, you pick up Patrick Rothfuss and you start reading the Kingkiller Chronicles, you just immerse, fully immersed, totally in love. And I bet you when he first started out, he had imposter, Com, you know, imposter syndrome as well. He's one of the greatest writers in fantasy today. So you just have to believe in yourself and keep going. And mm-hmm. uh, so yes, with the second book, I've stopped I've stopped telling myself that I'm not good and that I'm not worthy and that this story maybe isn't reaching the right audiences. And I've started telling myself my audience is out there and I'm not going to worry about it. They'll find me, you know, and I'm going to keep creating content that I hope that they will love. And that's it. That's all you can do.
1: I agree. Oh my gosh, that was poetic. <laughs> that was wonderful. And, you know, and I... Nice. and I I love what you said too about you're writing what you want to read which I think so many uh, especially first-time authors or beginning authors they get tied up into well what's hot right now I should write that or I should write this thing or that thing instead of thinking about what do you want to read what do you want and that your voice comes out when you're writing something that you want to read your voice comes through a lot more and clearly that's working well for you
0: I mean, I hope so. I'm see how it goes long-term, <laughs> but, you know, so far so good. Uh, what do you read, Jason, when you're not reading what you mm. typically write?
1: Oh, my. Uh, I, I, You know, I like a lot of thrillers. Yeah, me too. Um, I kinda mm-hmm. I kind of run the gambit, um, especially <laughs> since starting the show now. I read all kinds of stuff because uh, it's, you know, week in, week out. I'll, I'll hear about another fantastic story, so I could be reading uh, a romance or a fantasy or a horror book or something just outrageous but I tend to go back to something thrilling just whatever if it's get, if it's got me on the edge of my seat uh, then I I love it
0: yeah that's awesome I, I I'm I'm so weird like I don't read fantasy anymore hardly at all um, mm. and I, it's not that I don't love it like when I return to it it's like I have to ch- I have to devour four books at once um, oh, yeah. I read super super quickly but whenever I go to the bookstore now, I'm like, well, I'm going to go get me some of that true crime. <laughs> 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 I'm in the thriller section. I'm in the true crime section. And I'm like, this is totally not what I write. This is so strange. Or I read a lot of nonfiction adventure, like John Krakauer's Into Thin Air. I'm obsessed with it oh, yeah. right, 18 times. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm Mount Everest, situations like that, like uh, The Lost City of the Monkey God, like those books i'm obsessed with that kind of thing yeah. and people say oh you read fantasy all the time i bet and i'm like you know i did but now now i don't i don't it's weird i don't know how we got on this topic but we're talking about it <laughs> oh
1: yeah it, it's it's fun it's fun because you know and people enjoy that because we're just riffing um uh, yeah. yeah i mean it's you know one of the authors that inspire me is uh, robert mccammon and i love how it's mm-hmm. very thrilling and he always has something you know, perhaps supernatural that comes out of it, and I love that angle. I love having it. it's like, yeah, this is, could happen, and uh, it was very influential in my first book. My second one, I kept it more <clears throat> reality-based, but going forward, I I could see doing a little more in that that uh, that realm of like, yeah, you never know, the the werewolf might pop out, and you're like, whoa, Where did that come from? <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> how I feel about Dan Simmons. Have you read any Dan Simmons? I haven't oh okay so dan simmons sorry everybody but we're gonna have to talk about dan simmons uh, i love dan simmons they actually released a show on amc for one of my favorite books ever which was the terror and it's okay, about yeah. ships that were trying to find the northwest passage this is a true story so he takes true historical events and he writes kind of like supernatural horror uh, literature around those tales and it's mm-hmm. super riveting and if you're into that you're gonna dig it that's all i have 100 super well researched he knows his stuff so the two books that i like the best by him were the terror which is focusing on those two ships and they actually just found them under oh the wow yeah which you know by the time that i read the terror no idea where this crew or this ship had gone because they every last man of them is gone no yep. what happened um wow. super interesting and then also he wrote the abominable which is about Mount Everest, of course it is, and about uh, (laughs) two uh, climbers trying to find what happened to um, George Mallory and Sandy Irving, who disappeared in, uh, I think it's 1925, they disappeared, so they come back in like 1926, and they try to climb the mountain and find it, of course, there's some supernatural elements and stuff that happen in the story, but if you're into that, you're going to freak out about Dan Simmons, I'm just telling you.
1: I can I can give you a recommendation that I have not read yet, but I've just heard about it recently and it's uh, oh man and of course the name has just escaped me. Uh, But it's about the Donner family or the Donner party. Send it to me uh it's yeah i will send it to you and it's actually i think i talk about it in today's episode that's coming out
0: <laughs> yes dm me the <laughs> so the
1: the episode uh the the guest and i will talk about it because he had talked about it uh previously that's how i found out about it but it's the donner party and it's um there's supernatural elements as to why this happened
0: okay so, i need um, to read it Can you just yeah go it's a
1: reimagining so right. it's yeah. awesome <laughs> <laughs> and of course whenever i come back i do the post show for this, then I'll have it. I'll have it so everybody will know what I'm talking about. so right. Meanwhile, I'll send it to you whenever. Oh, so
0: here are all the books that we were talking about today. <laughs> I have nothing to do with anything else. That's uh, right. That's right. Read <laughs> Dan Simmons. Everybody, it's amazing. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he's one of my favorite authors.
1: I'm. You know, I'm going to tag Dan Simmons now on on this episode. I, do. Yeah, I'm. I'm
0: going to. You know what? I'm going to. I'm going to review the Damn Terror because or the Abominable One. The, <laughs> he's just a genius. He's he's a journalist the way that he writes is super crisp and clean like hemingway but at the same time you know one thought per sentence very very clean but super well researched like Mm. the amount of time he has to put into one book for the research has to be at least a year two years like he just knows his stuff Mm -hmm. and i love every character uh his women are all strong characters they're not weak willed you know fainting maidens and whatever but i think in the terror it was just like you bring some of my darkest fears together in one book and, <laughs> <it happens. laughs> so, and plus, you know, you had a mystery. I love mysteries and especially mysteries that actually occurred. Yeah. So yeah. He even talks about the Shackleton. Like you researched the hell out of that. Oh, was wow. another Donner party kind of situation. Uh-huh.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: But anyway, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Yes. All right. Well, everybody's got lots of books to check out today, but right. we really want them to check out i <laughs> Re- would like Revers. you to check out the southernmost star
0: but if you don't dig
1: that kind of thing maybe you should... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah everybody's got uh, we're gonna be running the gamut today everybody's got lots of books to check out but yes uh, for all you fantasy fans or uh, anybody interested make sure you are checking out of course book one sons of mill and then the most recent one uh the southernmost star hey what's uh, book three gonna be
0: the children
1: of Danube oh okay all right. Danu
0: is a mother goddess if you know your Celtic history. Um Danu was a mother goddess, she was the goddess of the earth. And uh so the the she, the godlike race is the Tuatha De and that is the children of Danu in Gaelic.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, hey, where can everybody find and follow you.
0: I am at LM Revere author on all of the things um, if you're interested in photography for some absurd reason uh, that would be at LMR photo foTO and then LMR photo foTO2 uh, on all of the things as well. Um, you can check out my personal website at lMrevere.com. Um, you can also buy books on my website if you want to or you can buy merch. I do sell signed copies of my work on my website. Uh, there's also some, you know, merchandise for various items from the book series, like the map, for example. I do bags and shirts if you're so inclined. Um, and then also sign up for my newsletter, please. I've got like, you know, just a few followers because I'm not pressing it as hard as I probably should be. But uh, for people that sign up for the newsletter, I think we're probably going to start offering some kind of discount or some kind of little bonus extras. That they can get from Lights Out Inc. So, um, and then also, please check out lightsoutink.com to check out our full list of titles. Uh, we are, we we have three main titles right now, uh, four with the Southernmost Star, and we're releasing two more before summer's end.
1: Outstanding. Well, like I said, <laughs> I'm going to have links for all this in the show notes, everybody. So, you know, it's like my name. You don't have to try and spell it out. You just click that link in the show notes, and then <laughs> boom, you're good to go.
0: You're the only person that suffers from the same, the last name problem like I do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: no, it's R I is in Victor, not B. Come on.
1: Lene, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for coming back on. This has yeah, been a having- blast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me and let me ramble on your podcast.
1: Uh, it's so much fun. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, time to hand the floor over to my guest, L.M. Revere with the Southernmost Star.
0: Hello everybody, I'm going to read to you from the first chapter of The Southernmost Star because I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there will be some spoilers in there so if you haven't read The Sons of Meal, then I highly recommend that you check that out um, and then get back to me. If you have any questions, comments, you want to chat with me about the direction of anything please check that out at LightsOuting.com you can message me directly or comment directly on my page. Okay so chapter one of The Southernmost Star. South. NE50804 Dor Oris Air. Una wished she was dead. Every breath was a losing battle. Any air she managed to squeeze into her lungs burned through her airways like acid. The pounding in her head might have been a thousand pound bell, peeling back and forth for hours. The fur she lay beneath were as heavy as a two ton stone. Something rattled within her chest as if one of her ribs had come loose and was attempting to work itself into her gut. Is this what suffocating felt like? She couldn't be certain, but if this went on much longer, death would be a blessing. Every inch of her hurt, from the tips of her bruised toes to the bleeding hollows of her shrinking gums. She was an aching husk of herself, a parchment stretched taut over disintegrating bones. What was wrong with her? Asked a gruff voice from far off. Spark drag, I'll wager. That voice, she knew. She'd have gone cold at the sound if she had any blood left to spare. She's used too much. The unknown speaker whistled. Reason, too bloody right there. If I hadn't seen what she did with my own eyes, I'd never believe any of this was possible. Is she dying? As another tremor galloped along her nerves, bowing her, bro- her swollen spine, Uno also wanted to know the answer to that question. She heard the scrape of a boot near her ear. The air drew close as a hulking figure bent over her. Why couldn't she open her eyes? If her last living act on earth was to spit in his face, she would count her stars. She tried to move her head, but the effort sent spears of lightning down her throat. She might have choked if she had the strength. Instead, she sucked tiny ribbons of air into her taxed lungs and trembled with the urge to weep. A familiar voice cursed. Not if I can help it. No, 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 don't touch her. A flurry of movement. I'm meant to. If you touch her now, she'll likely kill you without meaning to. Sure, I of her skill level are forbidden to fuel themselves this way, but it can happen. I see, said the heavier voice, clear revulsion in his tone. Gloved fingers probed her face from brow to jaw. Only Dan McBishop would have the gall to lay hands on her so boldly. Pity she was unwell, for she would have loved to drain the arrogant bastard dry. No help for it, I'm afraid, Damick sighed, smoothing back her hair. She hoped he'd be stupid enough to remove his glove. Bring me one of our prisoners, someone healthy but not over strong. Martin, discreetly please. The men are already terrified of her. Yes, my lord. Now she recognized that deep, oak-rich voice, Martin O'Rourden, her father's commander-at-arms. Though she hated the circumstances, she was glad of his presence all the same. She had nothing but fond memories of the old soldier and prayed she wouldn't have to harm him to escape. Distracted by distant memories and unbearable pain, she hadn't quite heard Damoc's order. What had happened? How had she come to be here? She couldn't glean the details, simply snippets, flashes of brilliant orange flame, men and horses screaming, a cottage consumed by oppressive emerald eyes, Ryan's small limp body against a filthy wooden floor, a black beast with an appetite as bottomless as the sea, Yen, the erstwhile Ben Maiden, silver eyes half-lidded, pale hair laying limp over his collar, lips still and cold as wax, and the dead. So many cold creatures, she could never count them all. How long had she lain here? Frustration nearly outpaced her pain. Where was Yin? Was he alive? Had Ryan survived what Una had done to her? How had Damick gotten hold of her? Una, Damick whispered, "Can you hear me?" "Yes," she wanted to scream. "Tell me what happened. Where are my friends? Where is Yin? What did you do, Damick? What did I do?" "I'm sorry for this, but neither of us has a choice." His breath dusted her cheek. Was that genuine regret she detected in his tone? Why not the Lord of Clare? Surely. Her mind wandered, a flower bloomed in bright spring sunlight, a garden filled with birdsong, damp green things, and warm male laughter. She knew this place, didn't she? The first brush of inf- infatuated longing, small pleasures fleeting as the sun in winter. Then she felt the cold stone at her back, the sharp sting of betrayal, a mouthful of teeth and animal hunger chewed through blood and sinew to her thundering heart. Slow simmering rage chased this vision away, cloaking her girlhood fancy in blackest hate. Oh, Damic, come closer. Press your lips to mine, I beg you. My lord, Martin reappeared, this time bearing unhappy resignation in his voice. Someone new whimpered beside him. This one killed a man trying to escape. Best I could find. Good, said Damic, bring her over. The whimpering melded into panic gasps. Una's broken body flooded with dread. Oh, no, 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 no. A silent scream bubbled within Una's chest, raising icebergs in her already frozen blood. Shora, forgive me. Subchapter. Hours or days later, she couldn't say which. Una woke from a doze to find herself tied to a creaking saddle. Disoriented, she shook herself to clear her head, though it did little to help her gain her bearings. From beneath the rim of a heavy cowl, she spied the hard, worn road beneath her horse's hooves. Steady rain bounced back up to her knees from deep puddles on either side, and a host of stripped trees fell away from the wide river snaking past on her right. The Shannon, she knew at a glance. Those blue hills she spied over the horizon told her all she needed to know. This was the Terran High Road, and soon they would hug the river at Dumnein and trek south by southwest to Bethany. She was headed home. Damoc was taking her to her father. They were leaving her life, her friends, and her freedom behind in the north. When they crossed at Ten Bells, she would be her father's subject once more, Princess of Bethany. The words soured like spoiled milk in her throat. Patrick Donahue's kingdom, the one place in all the world she'd rather die than spend a day. She gnashed her teeth in silent loathing. Muna held one power there, one worth. Her value is measured by the potential fruits of her body and whatever price they might fetch for the most ambitious man in Ennisvale. There was no worse fate she could imagine for a liberated Taranganese woman, autonomous in her own right, than the one that awaited her in Bethany. The duke would marry her off as soon as he was able. Should she dare her use her gifts against any would-be suitors, innocence would suffer in her place. That had ever been the way between Una and her father. She hardly believed anything would have changed, saving maybe the brutality of his vengeance. She had defied him for 14 years already. He didn't care about her, who she was as a person, who her mother had been, who she loved, what she believed, nor what was best for her. Patrick cared about Terengir. He lusted for an heir unified under his rule. His interest in her terminated with the claim she held in the north and the viability of the meat between her legs. Patrick Donahue wanted to be a king. He would sell her a thousand times over to achieve that goal. Una must escape before it became impossible. She was not chattel to be bought and sold for anyone's gain, least of all Patrick's. Setting her jaw at a determined angle, she slid her eyes forward and aft. She was surrounded by southern knights, but none paid close attention to her. Walking their horses at a gentle clip, many were engaged in hushed conversation or leaned over their horse's necks, sound asleep. A knight beside her held her reins in a loose grip, gnawing at a browning apple with a haunted faraway mien. Everywhere her eyes came to rest, she saw men worse for wear. Some were missing digits from appendages swaddled in unsanitary bandages. Many spotted cuts and bruises that no one had bothered to tend. All wore expressions loaded with disbelief, pain, or numb horror. (laughs) Una felt a little sympathy for them. They were murderers all. Led north by their own lust and greed, these men were no less guilty than her duplicitous cousin in his quest for power. If she slipped quietly from her saddle, maybe one of them would lean down to grab her? No, too public. Perhaps she should demand a nature break, and when led away, she could. I could hear the cogs turning in your head from here, causing a laugh from behind her. She didn't bother to crane her neck to look at him. Why waste the effort for such a useless view? Mm, she helped. Afraid yet? He kicked his mount forward and drew up beside her. She looked away, fuming. Not really. Though seeing you now after all these years, I wonder how I never noticed that you are. Always have been too, I gather. How charming. She ground her molars together. The only words with the power to sting or truth. You are not cowed, she told herself. He will make a mistake eventually and you'll be free again one way or the other. She squared her shoulders and raised her chin as high as it would go. Perhaps all these armored men frighten me. Will you hold me? He rewarded her with a throaty chuckle that was much deeper than the one she remembered. She stole a glance at him from the corner of her eye and wished she hadn't. His smirk made her want to rip his jugular out with her teeth. Not yet, Lady Donahue. I won't presume until you ask me seriously, of course. I'd rather drink crushed glass, Lord Bishop. His smile bordered on the lascivious, the had been kind to her cousin. He was taller, broader through the chest and shoulders, and the flesh of his cheeks had settled into the sharp bones of his face. Arching black brows swept over violet and green eyes. He was very handsome. She hated him the more for it. Oh, I don't know about that. One day I may grow on you, my lady Donahue. My name is Unamora. I am Prima of the Cloister of the Eternal Flame, and a free citizen of Terrigar. You have no right to hold me against my will. He shook his head with that annoying, affable grin. Reason, but you're beautiful in a temper, even covered in filth and scrapes. He hummed a sound that made Una burn with rage. Don't get angry. That's what he wants. What do you think, Martin? Is she not the loveliest woman you've ever set eyes upon? Don't get angry. Don't get angry. Don't. My lord, Martin cleared his throat. <clears> throat> Perhaps it is unwise to. Damick was having the time of his life at her expense. Her nostrils flared. I'm not some tavern wench, Damick. I'm the doma's granddaughter and heir. For all your education, your sense of direction is rather pathetic, isn't it? His men, save Martin, chuckled around her. When my grandmother hears of this, as if he'd been waiting for this threat, he pulled a rolled bit of vellum out of his tunic and wagged it under her nose. She looked away, taking deep breaths. Recognizing Nima's seal at a glance, she could guess what it read. Should I read it for you? No, she knew where this must be headed. Oh, what a shame, he said, waving the scroll back and forth. It's such a fun yarn. Old Grandmama has been deposed. Seems the Red City is under new management in this. He paused to read her name. Vanna Nima is now Doma. Want to know what the new Dama thinks of you and your family, my love? Fuck yourself. Whatever my lady buys, is, of course. You've made your point. Have I? Yes, she hissed, fighting tears. Her grandmother, her family. She didn't know how they'd come to this pass so quickly, but had no doubt who had orchestrated the coup. Nima had tried to kill Una three times already, and only Shoran knew what she'd been doing in Tarakair since. Though Una had been oblivious to the trouble brewing within the cloister while she remained within its walls, now that she was out in the world, she had been disabused of that ignorance rather quickly. The Red City had chafed an Drem's rule for some years. Hell, half the North cried out for more blood. Forty years of heavy-handed doctrine and policy stripped the poorest and in his fail of taxes they could ill afford. And resources they could hardly spare. Furthermore, Una bore her share of responsibility on that score. Her untimely disappearance revealed a chasm of weakness within the cloister that had surely fanned these flames. The people sought new leadership, justly or no. It seemed the scales had finally tipped in Nima's favor. Una didn't want to know anymore. Her heart couldn't process so many tragedies at once. Damick threw the scroll at her. She let it bounce off of her wounded arm and roll from her horse's flank into the mud. "'Unless I march up there and force the issue, "'your mother's name means nothing now. "'Your inheritance, your power, and your titles, nothing. "'That missive declares you a heretic and traitor, Una and "'Your precious city would have you burn. "'The way I see it, I've saved your life. "'When you're done playing the self-pitying child, "'you might see sense one day.' "'He watched her closely while she swallowed "'wave after wave of misery. "'She averted her gaze, blinking back, "'the hot tears boiling in her eyes. "'The men around her made no bones about their disapproval of her, "'curled their lips and shook their heads.' How many of their number were dead now because of her? Lost your tongue? He you pressed on. While the blame couldn't wholly be laid at Una's feet, neither could she deny she'd played her part. If she hadn't trusted Nema's creature gone, if she hadn't tried to run away before that, if she hadn't buried herself in her studies and shirked her duty to her family, perhaps none of this would have happened. If she'd stayed in Gare would things have been different? Could Nema have been thwarted or the Mora clan have presented a unified front? Who knew? There is an equal chance that Una would have been murdered in her bed and the same result achieved regardless. She might never know, but that wouldn't dispel her own guilt in either case. She was an outcast now, anathema, precisely as Damick had said. Una, his tone softened. Do you really think that that old miser in she was going to help you? The she couldn't spare a tinkers part for any of us. So long as we pay our taxes, keep off their lands, and steer well clear of their kind, they don't care what we do to each other here in air. We're all you have, cousin. I hope you come to see that before it's too late. Rather than allow her to spoil her speech with a rebuttal, he kicked his mount into the forward line. He didn't look back. An old trick, this, but effective. Una was left alone in a sea of creaking leather and hostile glares. Friendless, unmoored, and insolvent, she bit her lower lip until it bled and suffered in silence. Subchapter. As they led their mounts close to the river two days later, Una's chances to escape, thin by the mile. Damoc had thought of everything, of course. She was bound day and night. No one spoke to her unless directed. No one touched her or came near her without a thick pair of gloves. No one even looked her way except to feed her, cart her to the privy, or tie her to her cot every night. The first time she attempted to talk to someone, Damoc had the poor fellow digging latrines that evening. When she tried to wander deeper into the woods to relieve herself, Damoc had her escort replaced with prisoners, each given a lash for every yard she had dared stray. Una was fed with wooden spoons and drank from wooden dippers. If she drifted too far when they stopped, struggled with their handlers, or made any moves that appeared suspicious in the least, Damoc punished the innocent despite her. After a few days of this, Una had retreated within herself. She moved when and where she was told, kept her eyes resolutely forward, and never opened her mouth but to accept food or water. She might have been a doll for all the trouble she caused. If he wanted her docile, so be it. She would wait, watch, and plan. Damoc made none of the mistakes she hoped he would. He didn't converse with her except to impart orders or inquire about her well-being. He spent little to no time in her immediate vicinity and scarcely looked at her as safe when absolutely necessary. So much for thinking she could tempt him to lower his guard. She knew his escape wasn't going to be easy. She knew she knew escape wasn't going to be easy, but Damak was going well out of his way to make it impossible. When the gulls called from the bay and the smoke from Ten Bells rose in the distance, Una swore she wouldn't be defeated so easily. She would get out of this, even if it killed her. Carry in, she thought. Please be alive. Please be safe. I will come back for you. Subchapter. A gibbous moon was high in the late autumn sky when Damick's men wound their way through ten twisting lanes. Una was in a lead group strapped to her saddle as usual, and Damick himself held her reins. Another hope dashed. She had thought to create a ruckus in the street and pray the townsfolk would intercede long enough for her to get away. No such luck. If the Lord of Clare held her leash, no one would dare challenge him for his prisoner. They were in the south now. Damick's influence held far more weight here than hers. Not that many of these folks would even know who she was on site. Terengir was a faithful trading partner here, but not many shore ever made the trip. Merchers and students of the libellum were the few Taranganese faces she spied. Her people tended to congregate around the universities in the west moorings, while here in the north end, they were mostly farmer stalls, taverns, and stately inns astride the Terran High Road. She imagined they'd cross the Limerick Bridge at first light tomorrow, and from there travel south along the Mallow High Road to Bethany. It wouldn't be long now. She had but a few days left to get away. Once she was in her father's keep, she might be chained to a wall for the rest of her days. Her mind worked so furiously to uncover a solution to her situation that she barely noticed they'd stopped until Danny pulled her into his well-covered arms. Without ado, he set her down, grasped her shoulders, and wheeled her toward an impressive three-story building. The Ferryman, its beautifully painted red sign red, was easily one of the most well-appointed ends she'd ever clapped eyes upon. This was no surprise. Ten Bells had fiend to spare. Though it wasn't as large a city as Taringaro or Bethany, it was likely richer than both. Ten Bells was a thriving commercial hub overflowing with more rich trade guilds, labor unions, and banks than anywhere else in Innisfail. Tenbells mercantile union traded as far away as Balmy Francia and Old Europa, and its banks held a fair monopoly over the bustling Taranganese colony in Kimry. If she wasn't mistaken, the Kimry and Winemakers Guild's home office wasn't far from their present position, just over the Limerick and down the docks, or so she recalled from her studies. Tenbells owed a great deal of its success to the Guild's founding charter. Additionally, the city was neutral. It took no sides in any conflict continent wide. Being that almost every other city in Innisfail depended upon it for crucial trade, there was very little danger of that changing anytime soon. When someone makes you rich, you tend to leave them to their business. Sure, men had made the mistake of sacking the city in the past, her grandfather for one, but when the fiend ran dry and those men couldn't replicate the guild's results, Ten charter was returned and the merchants were left well alone. Only madmen and zealots bite the hand that feeds. Damic led her over swept collables in perfect repair toward the wide-covered veranda yawning from the end's northwestern facade. A lamplighter on stilts tapped his way down the street, brandishing his matches like a well-trained magician. A snap twist and flare and another glass bauble would cast ambient light over his charming thoroughfare. Though the rooftops climbed too high to view properly from her angle, every structure's architecture was pre-transition. Stone row houses with cornice windows and exquisite gabling light each side of the street. The ferryman took up the majority of the southernmost corner. They were met at the door by a fussy major Udomo, who led them through a series of candlelit alcoves to a private dining area beneath a sweeping grand staircase. Damick nodded to Martin, whose job it would be to sort the men and see their accommodations for the evening. The major Domo bent almost double in obeisance to the Lord of Clare before Damick waved him away. A few wealthy patrons were seated inside the dining room. These diners tucked themselves deep within their booths to avoid the attention of so many armed men. On the opposite side of the huge double hearth lay a larger taproom occupied by the general public. If the fire wasn't quite so hot, Una could almost squeak through to the other side and out the front door before anyone could stop her. Her cousin noted the direction of her gaze and wagged a finger, no. Soon she was unceremoniously shoved into a tall wooden booth near the rear wall. Damick took the seat beside her. Chewing her cheek raw, she faced the polished window to observe the lamplighter's progress. She didn't turn when others squeezed into the booth. Upon his return, Martin, as always, took the seat on his lord's opposite side. Damick's hand found Una's shoulder, his pressure firm. Keep your hood up, speak to no one, and try not to let anyone see your face. She shrugged his hand away. Martin, he said aside, have you ordered? Yes, my lord. Whatever was best for our officers in here, soup and bread for the boys outside. Room and board are sorted, too. "'Fellas will head to the way station next door, brass upstairs, two to a room. "'You are to have the suite on the top floor as soon as its tenant is vacated.' "'I had them send out for, um, ladies' things as well. "'Excellent. What's for supper, then? Didn't ask. "'I could eat a bloody horse.' Damick leaned over to Una. Are you thirsty?' "'She didn't look at him. A serving girl carried over a heavy tray "'laden with bread, salted butter, and five tankards of ale. "'The men leapt at the tray like starved hogs. Damick slapped one fellow's hand and set his tankard in front of Una. "'Wait your turn, Ridley, ladies first. Una rolled her eyes but didn't waste her breath to argue. She was parched. Living in a patriarchy was Ridley's bloody problem. Even with her hands bound, she managed to lift and pour half of the heavy vessel's contents down her throat in two gulps. The spiced ale warmed her from her throat to her toes. She hadn't had a decent meal in days. Though she was becoming rather accustomed to roughing it outdoors, she could hardly refuse one when offered. Clearly amused, Amex slid his trencher of bread and butter toward her. It, too, did not last long. She stopped chewing long enough to take a sip of her ale before she got back to work. Damick passed her a second helping than his own tankard. She didn't complain. Sure, bless the Brewers' Guild and ten bells. Only the heart and Rosville had better ale, and she was working very hard not to think about that at all. Damick wore an odd smile on his face while he watched her cheeks puff out like a chipmunk, chuckling. Martin also slid her his bread and the hunk of cheese he pilfered from another table. Bless Martin O'reardon too, she thought. How'd you meet him? Damick asked, pressing his chin against his knuckles. Me who? She managed around a mouthful of cheese carrion Adair, of course she would not rise to Damick's bait not now she kept her eyes on her food torturing herself wouldn't help anyone swallowing her bread went down her throat like a lump of coal does it matter yes damn you killed over two dozen men trying to take you back one of my best lieutenants as well a man of no mean skill i've never seen someone move like him Damick frowned at the as of conjuring carrion's face his reputation was understated you ask me Una said nothing Her heart racing he'd come for her tried to save her After that thing tore a hole in his chest the size of Launia, he'd come to take her back. She couldn't believe it, not Ben, or Carrion. It wasn't the type. Yet, Damic had no reason to lie. It certainly didn't make him look the grander for having said anything, did it? She hesitated. Did I, I mean, was he killed in the attempt? Damick's smile was cruel. You first. The serving girl brought another round of tankards. Damic claimed two more without breaking eye contact. Mm -hmm. Una reached for hers, but he held it shy of her finger as she groaned. If you're asking why he wanted to help me, I don't have an answer for you. He happened by when I was dragged behind a horse and almost beaten to death, and this after I'd managed to escape Raleigh and his men. You're lying about Raleigh. He and his boys were killed by the same man that killed those two beasts in Ferndale and a cadre of armed corsairs on the road. Come on, cousin, do try to show me at least the fraction of the respect I deserve. I don't know what you want me to say. He saved my life and we traveled together. That's all there is. He thought he might help me over the border and I intended to help him reclaim his title in the process we met in the middle. Damick took a sip of his ale and snorted into his tankard. You're in love with him. Una went still as a stone. She didn't respond for quite some time, but when she did, her tone aimed to kill. What of it? Damick's hand paused over his trenchers, eyes glowing cold murder. Oh, good. I hoped I'd have the pleasure of watching your heart break. My lord, Martin attempted from his left elbow. What do you mean, Una asked, trying in vain to keep the fear from her voice. Damick's grin was a nice slash in the firelight. He toasted her. The crown prince is dead, Una. I watched him fall myself. You're on your own now, love. I hope you're ready for what follows.
1: And that was L.M. Revere with her latest novel, The Southernmost Star. It is book two of The Innisfail Cycle. It's available right now. So click that link in the show notes for the book and for everywhere that you can find L.M. Revere. Fantastic lady, fantastic services, and a fantastic publishing company that she's got. So click that in the show notes. While you're there, don't forget to also ch- uh, click the links for our sponsors, partners, and podcast friends alike. And hit that subscribe button or follow button or whatever it is now so that you don't miss out next week when we're back with another return guest, Teresa Halverson, back with her, uh, her latest book, River City Widows. That's next week. We'll see you then.